This episode was recorded and produced on the land of the Gamaragal people, the Aboriginal people of Manly and Northern Sydney. I acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land and pay my respect to any elders, past, present or emerging. Welcome back to the High People Podcast. Thanks so much for checking out episode 15. Yeah, thanks for being here. It's uh, always good fun to share these episodes with you and this one is um, a really fun discussion as well. So as usual, obviously subscribe, check us out on social media, trying to be really active on Instagram and Facebook at the moment and posting out little snippets of old episodes and yeah, a little bit more visual content um, that you can see and, and see how the conversations go between myself and the guests. So yeah, hoping you're liking that. This week's episode for episode 15 is a good friend of mine, Nathan Smith, who I've played a lot of cricket with and we follow his journey from Melbourne uh, through to Sydney and yeah, we get to a few other countries, but I won't spoil it now. So we're going to get into it right away. Without further ado, this is the story of Nathan Smith. Well, my next guest uh, is a friend of mine who I've played a lot of cricket with. Um, I'm really excited to explore his story because there's a lot of, obviously, his earlier life that um, you know I'm not fully aware of. Uh, he spent time even living in Freshy around the corner from me for six months or so, uh, even longer than that now. I think it was nearly a year, but then he moved up to the country. Uh, it is awesome to have a chat with him. I'm really looking forward to exploring his cricket life, but his personal life. And um, he's told me he's listened to this podcast as well. And he comments on every so often says that was a great episode. And I couldn't think of a better dude to uh, get on. So Nathan Smith, mate, welcome to the High People podcast. It's awesome to have you on. Cheers, Clay. It's an absolute pleasure, mate, to just have a chat and good to catch up. Definitely. Yeah, it is good to catch up. Obviously, you have moved um, up to the country, which we'll obviously explore a little bit later but mate where, where have you moved to and, and how's it in the country in comparison to living in sydney yeah so we're out in orange uh in the central west it's about three three and a half hours west of uh direct west of sydney um look life it's it's just far more relaxed apart from like things are pretty similar but it's just the the way of living is far more relaxed and laid back and the traffic is a bonus uh that's for sure <laughs> I don't have to sit in peak hour every day, which is nice. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's a nice change change of pace, that's for sure. Yeah, I bet. So other than uh, a barrel one toasties, which I know you and Nikki uh, miss, mate, is there anything else about Sydney that you really miss? That's quite funny. I was literally thinking, like, what do I miss most about Sydney before? And I reckon it was <laughs> the morning ritual of going to barrel one on the weekend. Um, <laughs> oh, you can't go past the beach. The beach is yeah. just like that's that's the number one we've got a we've got lake canobolis up here which uh we can get out to it's called the beach but there's about 10 meters of sand and we have a <laughs> pontoon we can swim to so that's as far as it goes but um as soon as the weather gets hot i guarantee i'll be in there yeah so good yeah not much surf up in orange way mate for you to go on the on the big surfboard that's for sure no chance <laughs> Well, mate, really keen for, again, thank you so much for coming on and your feedback's always awesome when I get the messages through in regards to the other episodes. Uh, 
you know, obviously every story has a has a beginning. So where was um, Nathan Smith born? Yeah, so I was born in um, a town called Sandringham in uh, Melbourne, Victoria, which is in the Bayside. Um, started my life there. Grew up um, living out. Mum and Dad rented like a battle axe property out the, out of the back of my nan and pa's house um, in Sandringham or Black Rock as it is now. And um, yeah, so that's where it started and absolutely loved it there. Again, a big, big life with the beach there um, within walking distance. And it was just a really nice place to um, grow up. Did you love, love school or was school just a, a bit of a, a time that you had to do it or you're more interested in sport? What was, it, what was Nathan Smith like as a young primary school student? Uh, it was always sport. There was, um, <laughs> there, was, there was the hierarchy and it was always cricket in the summer and footy in the winter. Um, and school was a bit of a formality um, apart from recess and lunch, um, <laughs> which, which seemed to trend the whole way through, um, which like each their own. School, school isn't for some and definitely the sporting aspect of, of school took over for me. Um, from a very early age. A lot of guests, I think, have uh, shared the same sentiment in regards to school. I think it was it was there and I did it and, you know, I, I did it okay, but, geez, they love lunchtime and kicking a footy or, or playing cricket. I think that's been a pretty consistent yeah, uh, message, particularly amongst the cricketers. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a lot of people won't know as well, you're the oldest in your family, Um how big is your family? Yeah, so I'm I'm the eldest of nine, um, with the the wow. largest the largest gap between uh, siblings is me and my, my sister, who, which is three years, and then mum and dad got pretty busy, and um, it it just followed on from there, and there's now a clan of nine of us, um, one set of twins in there, and uh, so we got six boys and three girls. Unbelievable. Your mother is an absolute angel and your, your dad's a legend too and I've met them many a time and how they got that house running, I'll, I'll never know. But yeah, what was it like being the head of the, uh, the kids, I suppose? It's interesting. I get asked that question a lot. But um, obviously looking back, it was quite, it was always busy and chaotic and there's always people around. But and you knew different, I, I didn't know any differently. Um, mm. it was, that was the norm to me. Um, and like, as far as I was aware, it was just a normal, normal running household, um, until I managed to move into my own one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely looking back, it was busier than, than what most people would have been used to. Always loud. There was always a fight at the dinner table and there was always <laughs> a fight over who was getting to pick the TV show. Um, but yeah, like it was it would have been crazy and chaotic for any fly on the wall yeah oh, I can only imagine so you're in Melbourne for your early part of life and obviously there's a point where you move to Sydney how, how old were you when you when you came up from Melbourne into Sydney and, and what what triggered I suppose the move yeah so I was 16 when um when we moved so uh, just finished year 9 uh, at St. Bede's in Mentone and um, we we uh, I think dad, we moved for dad's work. So dad was a RE coordinator at St. Bede's as well. And he, um, 
moved into sort of he stepped up his role in in work and he moved into I believe it was coordinating religious education within the Parramatta Diocese of um, Western Sydney there. So that was what triggered the move and uh, we we packed up early January. Um, I can't actually remember the year. I just remember going into year ten, so I was sixteen at the time. Yeah, and um, and we were on the way, and we settled in Borkham Hills, in um, the Hills District. And did you were you able to sort of just pick it up straight away with your sport? Were you able to find a footy team, and and obviously cricket is is where we knew each other. But what was it like for you to to come from Melbourne to then go to Sydney as a sixteen year old kid, new school? new cricket club, new footy club, you know, was there any challenges for you in that sense or did you find it pretty smooth sailing? Yeah, well, um, in terms of finding a sporting club and things like that, that happened pretty smoothly. I was very lucky at my uh, local club in Melbourne. Uh, I had um, the president of the club at the time. He actually had played a lot of cricket in Sydney and I asked him whether he knew anyone up here and he got me in touch with uh, the Borkham Hills Junior Cricket Club. So I was able to finish the season there, which was great because it was just automatically I was able to make a couple of friends, get to know each other, had a social scene on the weekend, that sort of thing. Uh, schooling wasn't as smooth sailing. So I started school at Parramatta Maris, um, and that lasted <clears throat> about two to three months. That just It just didn't work out. The school wasn't a fit for me. Um, and then a spot at Oak Hill College opened up, and that was, that was, I can look back on and say, quite life-changing in terms of the opportunity that I was able to receive from that school. Um, mm. It was sort of the change I needed and it, it did motivate me to finish school well. And mm. um, with that came plenty of sporting opportunities, um, a, good, a great culture within uh, the sporting side of things, academic culture, and then just a... a school community that um, you could really rally around and that was really special really important to me um, and instantly felt like I fit in um, it was very similar to my school in Melbourne so my school in Melbourne the mm-hmm. DLSL Brothers School um, so St. Bede's and then when I actually moved to Oak Hill the principal at the time was Brother Ken who was the principal at St. Bede's when I started there which was just coincidence oh, wow. but but it was, um, again, it was even that little bit was a familiar face. And hmm. it was um, just a, a way of feeling welcome and a way of feeling like it was home. Yeah, so good. I think having a familiar face and you know, just having a familiar setting, I suppose, is, is really, really key. And Oak Hill is obviously an unreal school in, in the hills, allowing you to, to play sport um, and the like. So, so you've jumped into to Borkham Hills Cricket Club and you then end up at the Rangers, uh, ND Rangers, as a lot of listeners would know about and have heard about from other from other guests. How would you, you come to finding Northern District? Because, you know, you could have gone to Parramatta, you could have gone to Blacktown. You, you know, how did you end up at NDs? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. I, I didn't know anyone in the grade scene. So I never did Green Shield, which most people did in Sydney. I never did because I was just too old at the time. Um, but I managed to weasel my way into the pathway system um, through some pretty good performances uh, in the Lord Taverners week, which was coached by the great A Waters. 
Um, <laughs> You're still my dad's favourite cricketer, mate. You're more loved <laughs> than I am in regards to cricket. He thinks yeah. you and Pat Cummins are like one and two, and I'm three. I don't know if I'm on Pat's level, but um, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks um, you are. <laughs> he's, he's a good man. Um, so I, I put together a really good carnival there, and that got me into the pathway system where uh, the coach at the time was Michael McLennan. And he uh, referred me on to the Andes coach at the time, Paul Byron, who mm. gave me a call straight away. And just um, just through trusting people that I dealt with in the past um, and taking their word for it, I got told that Andes was a great club with a great culture, great community, um, which is everything. Like, it's not just playing cricket. It's all about the, the off-field stuff. It's about feeling welcome every time you go there, um, whether it's training, game day, um, and then rallying around the whole club as a, the club as a whole instead of just acting in your individual grades, which really attracted to me. Um, and I just absolutely loved it from day one. It was, it was incredible. So, yeah, we've, we've played a lot of cricket um, together. I think um, there's a lot of uh, court waters bowled Smith. Um, you bowled fantastic little outswingers that uh, were a wicketkeeper's dream, particularly to right-handers, because pretty much I could just stand there half the time and uh, you would just nick blokes off um, for fun. Um, is there a performance or anything that you can think of in your end days time where you were, you know, you love the most or you reflect on the most and you're like, yeah, that was, that was a pretty good day. Um, I've got, there's a couple that come to mind There's actually mm. one was, it was my second grade second game, which you'll remember fondly. Um, my first, my first second grade game, I remember my first three balls being short and wide outside off and getting absolutely pumped for four down at, at Old King. At Parramatta? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that <laughs> I remember really that. well. And that was, I remember uh, that pretty clearly too. <laughs> that, was, that was the biggest wake-up call to men's cricket I reckon could have ever had because I was a young pup coming off um, some like dominating third grade and thinking I'd just waltz in and um, do the same in twos and it was just a different level all over again. <clears throat> um, but that second game was out at Alan Border at Mossman, and I made uh, eight, four yes. for not many, which were all fought by yourself, which was pretty special. Yeah. Um, that was awesome. And then my first grade debut, which was the second last game of the season um, against Sutherland, where Harry Conway injured himself at the back end of the year, and I was able to come in as a 17-year-old and, and do relatively well um, and not feel overawed by it and... It was a bit of first grade was always very much a goal of mine, and um, mm. and knowing that I could make it and perform at that level was um, a very very satisfying moment. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember those games very clearly, and I think a few of those Mossman batsmen in that second grade day remember that day very clearly. You were unplayable um, that day, literally unplayable. You had it going around corners and. Still some of the best bowling I've kept to um, in a long time. And that's including a fair bit of first grade keeping as well, which is which is awesome. So, yeah. Hey, so now how... There's there's a point in your cricket career, and, and it's a point in a lot of people's cricket career, um, that choose to go overseas. So whether it's like, you know what, I'm going to go to the UK or Ireland or, or wherever to go play cricket in our winter here... You know, and then also enjoy you know being in the UK, being in Europe, and being able to travel around. What 
you know, what was the decision for you to go overseas and play cricket and, and where did you end up in this whole process? Yeah, so I started, um, <clears throat> it was, how did we start? We started as a, just an overseas. So I went to a town called Bilston, in, which is outside Wolverhampton and Birmingham and uh, played in the, Mid, the Midlands League. Um, for a team called Springvale, which was uh, it was unreal to play, go over and play twelve months a year. Like I just hmm. lived and breathed cricket. Like it was that was the world, and um, that progressed really well um, to a point where I there was a lot of luck in this story. But um, I managed to go over and see my I have cousins in Northern Ireland, and I sorted over there for a holiday and didn't even realize they played cricket there and hmm. waltzed down to a to a game that my cousin was playing in and i looked at it and i was like this is this is pretty handy like i i wouldn't mind seeing what seeing what happens here and they they said to me oh your you, my granddad was born there so i'm eligible for an irish passport so i could technically go back and play for a local player <laughs> and that's sort of where it all kicked off um, in terms of my overseas playing days, um, just through that sheer luck that someone knew what the rules were and that <laughs> I was able to to sneak my way in as an Irish citizen and um, and head back over there for a second year to Belfast in Northern Ireland. So at what point do you then go, okay, I have an in... You know, which you know is a is a massive in and, and plays a, a big part of the, the story going on, which we'll, we'll get to. But at, at what part did I suppose a, an understanding of where you can actually take this? Um, you know, talking about maybe representing Ireland one day or or doing this, or even just the fact of just you know returning. What was the you know when did that all sink in that you can return year after year and play, or was it just like you didn't really have an endpoint? You were just there to, to play cricket, kind of thing. Um, at the start, there was no end point. It was, I was purely just absolutely loving the fact that I could travel the world um, <clears throat> each, each season and chase summers. Um, it, was, it was an unreal experience, like just in terms of a life point of view to be able to do that. And, um, but there was, a, there was a stage where I had a, a sit-down conversation with a guy called Andrew Rose who was sort of the he was he was the top dog at my club in Northern Ireland which was Estonians and he had an in with <clears throat> Cricket Island and they said that um, the Interprovincial Cup which was um, a, a competition between um, the Northern Knights which is Belfast based uh, Leinster which is Dublin based and the Northwest which is up in Londonderry um, in Northern Ireland. And that was, so Ireland were up, um, trying to go to a full, full playing test team, um, which they went to the time. And to do that, they had to have a first class system. So I was playing in this, um, the IPC, which was fantastic as an overseas coming over. Um, and I was able to just fit in as a local and play as a local mm. and do all of that. Um, and through that, that was a real driving factor. And then all of a sudden, I could taste that that level was going to be a first-class team next year in the following year. 
Um, and that for any cricketer growing up, playing first-class cricket is a level that everyone can really desires to play. Um, mm. And that was that was the opportunity, and that was whether like I just had to take it. So there's there's opportunities just opening up here, you know, sliding door moments or, or whatever you want to want to call them. At, just trying to think because I'm trying to remember it from my perspective as well. You know, like I remember speaking to you and being like, you know, like you, we're having a chat and being like, I've got this chance. You know, I might be able to you know play some first class cricket here. Um, and again, I nearly ask you the same question because it, it has a, a purpose. But when you started playing first class cricket, again, were you was was that it, or were you like, you know what, I'm really going to try and play for Ireland here? I think every level I went up, I I could taste the next one. And um, so the the coach of Ireland at the time was John Bracewell. And he was at every um, Interpro game. So whether it was first class, list day, 2020, because um, there's only three teams, he can, and Ireland's not a very big place, he can get anywhere and make sure he's there to watch who's coming through the ranks, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I had some really positive conversations with him. He Every time we were in in Belf- the, the Irish team were in Belfast playing a series. I was there um, to train, to bowl, um, with just to be around the team. Um, and that was phenomenal. Like, mm. I mean, I was just able, all of a sudden I was bowling to guys like Ed Joyce, who's scored 100 against Australia at the Gabba. Um, yeah. Kevin O'Brien, who's known for that, the quickest 100 again in a World Cup, yeah. I think it is. I'm not sure whether that's been overtaken, but again, against England again. Um, like all of a sudden I'm looking at guys that I grew up in Australia knowing and like idolizing due to the way they played the game. Um, it was a dream come true, even just training with them, let alone being able to touch, being able to be in a squad. Like it was, it was close. It was always closer than you thought. Yeah. Did you ever have that moment? And I know I spoke to Greeny about this and he was, you know, his answer was hectic, but when you're in this squad, you know, bowling to Ed Joyce, bowling to the up-and-comers of, of Ireland cricket, did you find it hard to, in a sense, detach yourself to be like, no, 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 I'm here to do a job versus like being like starstruck somewhat to be like, these guys are professional cricketers have been on TV. Like, how did you go about the balance between doing a job but also being like really in awe of the situation that you're in? Um, I was always in awe of them. Um, and I always really admired what they did. Um, mm. And I was very meticulous in terms of watching and taking on what they did in that way. So like all their professionalism, the way they prepared, all that, all that jazz, um, I'd literally hang off. They must have hated me. I was on their left hip, like just <laughs> literally attached. Um, the t- it's funny, the time I was most, at all of them was when we were doing the warm-ups and they'd always pull out the football and as in the soccer ball. Yeah. And I am absolutely hopeless. I'm like Bambi on ice when it comes to that. (laughs) And that would be my moment to be absolutely starstruck. But as soon as we got in the nets and as soon as I had the ball in my hand, I knew like I could, this is a chance to impress. 
Like if I can if I can get Ed Joyce out or if I can get Kevin O'Brien out, all of a sudden the coach might be watching and seeing what I can do. Therefore, that might enhance my prospects of going to the next level. Um, mm. It was... But don't get me wrong, I was always in awe of them in terms of mm. like even if I managed to have a really good session and all that all that stuff, I still looked at them and go, I can't believe I'm actually here. And the yeah. stars have aligned for me to be here at this moment. Yeah, it's an awesome story. And I love hearing you know, about about the journey is, is really cool. And we'll get to the sort of the end, the end point um, in a moment. I want to ask the difference between you know, saying, playing, you know, proper first grade cricket, which you and I are aware of, to them going to this first class system, what was the difference that you found? What was the professionalism like? You know, did you, was it like a massive leap or was it just a bit of the same same? It wasn't a massive leap. Um, I think the the professionalism came more um, off the field. Um, First grade cricket in Sydney is, an exceptional standard like it would be regarded as probably the best amateur cricket league in the world potentially Mm. um and so that the standard of cricket in sydney is second to none Mm. but the professionalism off the field in terms of your physio your rehab being in that environment and then you have your your gyms during the week, all your training sessions, like it became a job, and that was the biggest difference. When you're when you're put in a scenario, a situation that you can do what you love twenty four seven, the the sky's the limit. And mm. and I believe because I I was a I was a good first grade cricketer, like so like mm. I I was a good decent cricketer but I was never going to get the opportunity in Sydney or in Australia to take myself to the next level like the that door I, I believe had closed so this was the opportunity to get into that system and see what I could do hmm. Hmm. and I believe that anyone that is given the opportunity to do that full time the sky is the limit it's all about the application you can have and how hard you're willing to work to achieve that dream. Hmm. So you're just now, you know, you've got this position in, in society of being a, you know, professional athlete, you know, in, in Ireland. Did you have a chance to reflect and be like, this was my boyhood dream, like to, to do this type of thing? Like how, you know, that would have been like pretty special to, you know, realise that cricket is now my job when you used to play it in the, you know, the battle axe block in, in the backyard in Melbourne? Yeah, it's, um, I don't, at the time, no, I don't think I ever really stopped mm. and really looked at what I was doing. Um, it's all in hindsight, though. It's, it's something I'm very proud of. And mm. I can honestly say that I, I gave everything I could at, each individual moment that I had. Um, and, but in terms of 
reflecting on what I was doing and living out what was a boyhood dream. I remember um, like in year, I think I reckon it was year four at school, we had to write down what we wanted to be when we were older. And I wrote test cricketer. And I remember as clear as day. And, but at the time when I was going through it, I didn't, there's not one point where I literally was able to look at, look, look in the mirror and go like, you were living the dream. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. <clears throat> oh, so cool. I love I love the reflection. It's 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 really good. And to hear about these stories is also a lot of fun because again, it was like getting relayed to us and I remember us chatting and being like, "Now this is where I'm up to. This is what it is." And I suppose I'll take you to when was the first time you chucked on, you know, an Irish um cap because I know you played some second 11 um cricket for them what was the first time and where was your debut and when did you officially get I suppose into that system um well I I never reached the pinnacle you could say in Ireland Mm. um came agonizingly close but Mm. that that's another story we'll get to that um I played a lot of Island 8 games and a lot of them were against County Twos teams or um, Scotland touring teams, um, the likes. So my first game would have been against uh, Gloucestershire, second 11, I believe, and that would have been over in Gloucester um, at a little village ground that had an absolute road of a deck and it had the tractors <laughs> going past on the, on the road and it was the smallest straight boundaries you'll ever imagine. And... Um, <clears throat> That was that was a um, a baptism of fire because we were playing against uh, a guy called Ian Cobain who's playing for the Adelaide Strikers right now, and he smashed them last night, absolutely bombing them everywhere, and he was doing the exact same to us that day. And, oh man! <clears throat> yeah, it was it was <clears throat> again it was that next step, and it was realizing this this person is at the top of his game playing in county cricket and that's what we need to strive to be hmm. yeah it would have been amazing to i suppose understand and and see batsmen or players of that caliber play against you which would have been just awesome unfortunately you might have been on the end of a, a couple of those uh bombs that he would have hit as well which is which is never a good thing absolutely now <laughs> we get we get to the point in the story where uh, it is a tough, tough story, but I think a, a really good reflection where there's a chance that Ireland is going to play a test match um, and your name is on on the sheet of paper to potentially be selected for for this test match um, to play. What, what was the, the, the story here and, and I suppose how did it come about and um, yeah, what ended up happening in that situation? Yeah, so um, leading into leading into the summer, it was a very early uh, early fixture in terms of cricket in Ireland. So it would have been a May fixture, which is I'll tell you what, it's like the middle of winter still, and yeah, wow. it's drizzling and everything like that. But we played in the lead up because there was no cricket previously to this 
um, the test match. So there was a an intra club game um, between the island squad, and I I genuinely felt like the stars were aligning. So I wasn't a I wasn't a centrally contracted player, but I was on a part time contract with them. Mm, yeah. Um, but it was enough with that and with club payments that that was my full time job essentially. Yeah. Um, and so I was in the squad. I was playing in these inter club games, and I just felt like everything was working perfectly. Like I was the run up was perfect. The the way my ball was ball release was was absolutely spot on. Um, I was getting the ball to do exactly what I wanted it to do at the exact moment I needed it to. And and batsmen were nicking it, missing it. Just sometimes you just every dog has its day, and I just felt like mm. everything was lining up. And I got rewarded with uh, a, a place in the squad of the first test match against Pakistan. Um, and I'd sort of been highlighted as a red ball player for quite a while within the Irish setup. Um, and this was this was the chance I had to to really really take that on. And um, so that was that was cloud nine being being picked yeah. just to start with, and all of a sudden there was a spotlight on you. And whether it was the newspaper calling for an article or <laughs> TV reporters, all of a sudden I'm just this like bloke in Belfast that has been picked for the Irish team that has to answer to the world. And there were mm. Muhammad Amir was coming over, like Shut Up Khan, all these players that were just proven performers on the world stage. And we were going to try and take them on, and and we believed that we could, in our own conditions, definitely give the give it a shake. Yeah, so I'll I'll jump in there because, from my perspective at this point, so we obviously get we get word that Smithers is going to be playing, you know, for Ireland in the, in this Test match, and obviously the excitement is just through the roof so it's it's mace it's end of our cricket season but everybody's still you know on the messages and you know we're you know we're chatting away and we're going you know no so excited mate you know best of luck can't wait to watch everything everything's going on did you did you feel that energy from from home as well or were you just so i just suppose wound up in the in the moment that was you know i could potentially play for Ireland in the next couple of days um no the energy was definitely felt um i had the most like amazing support coming back from Australia. Um, it was like, it was electric. Like this is the biggest, this was, and I think actually now that looking back on it, I definitely did reflect at this moment that this is probably the biggest thing that will ever happen in my life to that point. Hmm. Yeah. And, and this is what I've been working towards for as long as I can remember. And like, the support was, it was felt, it was needed, and it gave me, uh, it, it just, it was like an affirmation for, I'm doing the right thing, I'm doing well, this mm. is, mm. this is the path that I need to take, and I've worked hard for this, and I deserve this. Yeah. 
no, it was awesome. And we, we were the same. We were so pumped um, for it all, all to begin. And now we we fast forward to, you know, one to two days out from the test and it's, you know, it's about to go to head. You're, you know, doing your training and your warm-ups and everything. Um, well, how, how did the, I suppose, the next two days in the lead up to the, the test match roll out? Yeah, so I'll take you back to the weekend before. There was a club cricket game and I needed to get some overs under my belt. And so I was bowling there in this club game. We were bowling really well. We were on top. And I felt a little um, twing in my side. So for any fast bowler, if you get a side strain, that's, a, that's curtains nearly. So I pulled up stumps there and basically put it on ice for the next... It was for another week, week out from the game. <clears throat> and we went into camp and I was under sort of an injury cloud, you would say. But I was very confident. Like, I was feeling good. I was... Um, I just felt like it was a little bit of a strain. It's, I've recovered. I'm good to go. Um, so I had went out for the main session two days out and I was I believed that I was going to play and that I was going to like I believed that I was going to play and I was going to do well and I was going to uh, be backing up the likes of Tim Murtagh and Boyd Rankin hmm. and so I was about eight overs into my spell of training and I was bowling um, out in the middle Graham Ford was watching at the time and I literally felt my side tear off my rib um, in basically one ball and it was I was on the ground. It was just, it's the most demoralised I've ever felt in my life. Mm. How, at the time, were you able to process that? Because, you know, that had obviously many a ramification at the time in the sense of not a, a you were injured b your chance to represent ireland in a test match was you know put on hold you know what, what how how were you processing that um at the time mm-hmm. which was an awful an awful thing to have to process um i didn't process it well um i didn't care that i was injured or anything like that i cared that i was missing out on the chance to play in Ireland's first ever test match, which mm. is a really historical occasion for them. And it would have been for the whole country and world cricket. And, um, mate, I was an emotional wreck. Um, mm. I didn't know what to do or what to say. Um, there was a period where I was just in tears immediately after it happened and just like you've got everyone trying to rally around you but and like but it was no matter what they said it wasn't helping in any way it was um and i'd never i'd never gone through a serious injury before Hmm. um so to put in terms of how serious it was i tore my outer oblique. <clears throat> it was a 10 centimetre long tear by two centimetres deep. 
and then my oh. inner oblique was eight centimetres torn by two centimetres. And then my transabdominus had a, a little two and a half centimetre nick in it, which oh, is goodness. still a pretty hefty tear. And um, so I was in I was in agony. Like it was incredibly painful. You mm. can't even you can't even laugh. Like you can't cough. You can't even to speak or roll over in bed. And it was just a constant reminder of what I'd missed out on. Mm. Um, and it really hurt. Like it, it, it really hurt. It still, it still hurts to this day. But I didn't. Mm. I missed out on that. Yeah. Such a hard thing to process, and we all, when we found out this news, were just absolutely devastated because um, we knew that no one had worked harder, no one deserved it more, no one was a nicer bloke um, than yourself, and and to hear it, I think our hearts all ached. Um, for you as well in a, in a little bit of a change of speed but I know how much of a role that she played in this process as well um, obviously in you recovering and, and just being there for you as well it would be a miss to talk not to talk about your beautiful wife um, Nikki who I obviously know uh, well as well who's just an, an awesome girl you know how did you two I suppose meet and then where does she fall into this whole you know, situation, you know, coming along the journey with you, chasing your cricket, you know, dream, you know, she's there at this time, you know, how does she fold into you and what did that really mean to have her support there for you the whole time? Yeah, well, her her role in my cricket overseas is, is huge. Um, I probably wouldn't have pursued it anywhere near as much as I did um, if it wasn't for her saying, you've only got one chance to do this. If we're going to do it, you may as well give it a red hot crack and we'll commit a hundred percent to it, which meant mm. packing up all our life in Australia and moving over. Um, so Nikki and I actually go back quite a long way. We, we met, um, when we were 16, I was just, just in Sydney and we, we met through mutual friends and that, that, that was all it was. It was just, uh, it was a really good friendship. We always got along like house on fire whenever we saw each other. Um, mm. and really appreciated that sort of fun aspect that, that we had. And um, when I came back from England the first time, we, we were at uh, another friend's 20th birthday out of the, the Glenmore in the Rocks. And uh, we, we both hit it off. Like we just absolutely hadn't seen each other in a long time and literally fell head over heels. Um, Pretty, pretty, pretty quickly, and uh, <laughs> it was it was um, the best thing that could have happened to me. Um, I wasn't searching for anything, didn't want anything in terms of relationship. Was happy to to head back overseas and and be single. But but meeting her, and then I got a new newfound drive for things. She um, bought the best out of me, um, mm. no matter what I was doing and really pushed um, pushed me to achieve what she believed I could achieve that maybe I didn't think I could yet. Mm. Yeah, that is awesome. That sounds like her, definitely pushing yeah. you to, to achieve. She's, if she's got an agenda, I know she got an agenda, she's <laughs> onto it, she's ruthless, she pushes it. I remember, oh, she's a, There's no prisoners. That's awesome. 
No prisoners, none at all. It's uh, it's awesome to hear, and, and obviously to hear her as a part of that journey is, is great and always someone that I've loved um, speaking to as well um, when we've hung out. So you, you've had this uh, traumatic, I suppose, experience in the sense of just missing out on on playing that due to you know your sides uh, just absolutely giving in by the sounds of those those numbers. Um, the recovery and the rehab, I suppose, what what happened there, and you know, there's a point where you decide to return to Australia. What what was that decision? Did did you go right where? we're done here, let's go back to, to Sydney or, you know, how, how did those decisions come about? Um, it was a long, the, was that recovery was long. It was, it took about four months before I could bowl again. Um, yeah, wow. which was, um, I worked really closely with, we're, we're lucky. So in Ireland, the majority of the cricket facilities are out down in Dublin and Belfast is about a two hour drive from Dublin. And so, but I was really lucky in terms of the head of S&C, who was, uh, his name's Brendan Connor. Um, he was based in Belfast. And I sort of took my, my hurt and my anguish into sort of the gym and recovery and doing whatever mm. I could. So it was probably two months where I couldn't do anything. Wasn't even allowed to get in the pool and walk laps or anything like that. Um, but as soon as I got the go ahead, he was, he, he saw how much I wanted to get back and he was willing to sacrifice whatever he needed to, to facilitate what I wanted to like get back to. So I owe a lot of my recovery to him. Um, Mm. just in terms of just someone that was there when I needed someone there. And mm-hmm. I've never been, like, through that period, I've never gotten as fit or as mentally strong, I reckon, as what I was then. And it was mm. it was due to just the sheer work ethic that, that he had and facilitating me to be able to come back um, stronger than ever. Um, mm. Sorry, what was the other part of the question? I'll, I'll no, 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 it's good. Yeah, so you've you've got your body back into shape. Do you play a couple more games for yeah, you know, in, so, in your there before you decide to return home? So um, there was one more first class game for the year at the back end of the year. Um, so we're now say fast track. So the injury was in May, fast track to about September. Um, late September is the last first class game of the year, and that was my goal to get back to that for that. Mm. Um, and so that's. So we reached that goal and it was probably the hardest game I've ever gone through um, in terms of like I may have been as fit as ever, but I hadn't bowled anywhere near enough and my side was not what it used to be. And I just remember wrapping myself in ice for days afterwards (laughs) just through pure like agony. Um, but that brought, brought to the end of the season and I was always planning to come home that year. So hmm. um, so I was coming back for a season at NDs, which I was really looking forward to. And and so we came back. It would have been, I missed round one, came back for round two. And um, yeah, so settled in, started playing 
playing at NDs and one thing led to another and I think just being home and after what we'd been through being around friends and family again we we had a lot of a, a lot of long discussions about what's best for us um we were sort of at a bit of a crossroads whether um if cricket wasn't going to go the journey where was life going to take us as well yeah um i think a few things were put in perspective um, not through any, anyone else, but just, I think, a bit of realisation in terms of what we wanted to achieve. Our life was changing. Friends around us were changing in terms of some were getting married, some were having kids. Um, and things that... Um, also, we, were, we became uh, auntie and uncles in that period, that sort of thing. Mm. And these are things we didn't want to miss out on. Um and so a lot of perspective was thrown in there and that eventually came to the decision that we were going to stay in, in Sydney. Hmm. It would have been a hard decision to know, you know, a lot of your life and, and time at that point, whether it was four to five years worth of time was dedicated to, you know, pursuing that cricket journey and, and, and dream. You, you talk about perspective, um, was it a relatively easy conversation? Like, were you at peace with that conversation or was there part of you that was like, no, 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 I want to give it another another crack? Or how, how did you... How, what was the perspective like, I suppose, from your end? Because, you know, at this time, you're now married um, to Nikki and, you know, you've got both got to consider each other's lives and your lives mm-hmm. together. Was the was the decision easy? Uh, yes. Yeah, it was easy. Um, yeah. The... I think we were both very much on the same page, but we both didn't mm-hmm. know how to get to that, like to bring that conversation up because we didn't want to take it away from someone else. And yeah, sure. Interesting. Interesting. And um, so I think, what, but once it was raised and we both realized what was, what we were going through and we both felt very similarly about the whole situation we did a little pros and cons list, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> really nice, yep. <laughs> really, really went in depth of it, and um, and I don't, we don't regret it for one second. Coming home, like nice. there's no regrets. Like I, I truly believe that we gave everything while we could over there, but at the end of the day, our life was going in different directions, um, mm. and we wanted to to continue that back in australia yeah and and speaking of different directions mate you're now a father um to your beautiful baby girl um you know what's that like you know you spoke about the country for a bit you know that's a bit of a different change but what's it like just going in now being a father like that must be amazing yeah it's it's the single best thing i've ever experienced um Hmm. it's it's pretty amazing the the love that you can have for for someone so instantly and hmm. um and i i can't even describe the feeling that it, it it brings brings me like i'm just i'm so happy even even talking about it like i'm just hmm. like ecstatic um 
and she's just the best thing in the world, Laurel. Um, uh, but fatherhood is, it's different. Like there's nothing matters half the time because I've got to look after, look after her. Um, mm. Things can wait. Like at the end of the day, my, like your work, your friends, they'll be there. Yeah. The next day. But when your daughter needs you at that moment, you you just need to be there, and I want to be there. Yeah, and awesome. it's it's very special, very special. It's the it's the biggest change you could ever imagine. <laughs> Man, it is it is awesome to hear you you speak like that, and um, yeah, it's just unreal, and I, I couldn't be happier um, for you both. But my last question to, to round this out is that we've spoken about cricket a lot and because cricket was a massive part of your life um, you've had the chance to reflect over the last you know 50 odd minutes here do you have you had any is there any lessons that you take away or any reflections that you I suppose hold really true to about um, your cricketing journey or about your life overseas or you know is there anything that that yeah, you can reflect on and be like, yeah, wow, I'm either like really proud of that or something you learnt or something that you can carry on, you know, going into the future or even tell your kids in the future? Um, my biggest thing that cricket has taught me is not to take anything for granted. Hmm. And whether that's being at NDs, being immersed in the culture and embracing everything that that throws at you, whether it's you win five from five and you all get to the bluey at the end of the day for a keg <laughs> or um, you you ride the lows and you, you show up to training and you enjoy it and you don't take, like you can't settle for anything other than what you've got, but you can mm. strive like, but I, but you can strive for more. And that's um, in terms of, Yeah, where am I going with this? Sorry. Um, yeah, you're right. How would you use those lessons to, you know, teach your kids one day, you know, when they try to take on sport or if they choose to do that? I think just being able to live in the moment hmm. and embrace everything that life throws at you to the best of your ability. Hmm. And nice. that's going to hold you in good stead to live a very full and fulfilled life, I think. Mm. And that's all you can really ask for to get that I enjoyment. That you, yeah, I love that. Because you say as well, you say and you, you mean it is the, to the best of your ability. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. You put yourself in you know, the position that you can set yourself up for. So if it's you know, sport related, you can train to be as best as you possibly can be and be ready for the situations. If it's life, you can you know, be ready for the situation you can, but you can only do it to your literal 100% ability. And like, if you can learn to sort of take that on and address that um, and be ready for the things that come, I reckon that's a, that's a pretty good, pretty good way to, to wrap this, wrap this thing up, man. I think that'd be a really good lesson for, for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Mate, it, it is awesome to talk um, as, as usual, it's always great to chat and I'm sure we'll ca continue chatting offline after this record button's been stopped. 
Uh, mate, any local uh, Orange Cricket Club uh, heard of your uh, playing days and looking to sign you up or what? I tried to sign you up for, you could have been a third grade undefeated champion, mate. But, uh, you know, you said to me, I'm going to have a year off and I respected that. I said, I'll ask you once and that's all I did and I only asked you once. Um we would have been even more undefeated bull, I think, if you were, <laughs> if you were a part of the team. But uh, any uh, orange cricket clubs uh, come knocking on your door, mate? Uh, there's been a few phone calls exchanged, but uh, the, <laughs> the answer is still the same. I've, I'm turning out in winter for the Bathurst Bush Rangers in the AFL up here, and that's, I'm really looking forward to that. They're a great club awesome. um, yeah. from, from what I've had a small snippet of. Um, but... The cricket is on hold for the moment, and that's definite family time. And just got to embrace, embrace the new new life that we've got. Mate, it's so good. Well, it is awesome to see you. Are I know I've spoken to you many a time, but you know it's awesome to the happy and how it worked up there with the place and the work and and everything. So that is really really good. But mate, it has been awesome to reflect. I hope you've enjoyed reflecting on it. You know some of the really positive experiences and the, you know the tough ones that you've you and Nikki have both been through but uh you know, to hear how stoked you guys are in the country and and the, how the little baby girl's going and, and everything is is awesome so mate thank you for reflecting thank you for sharing your story and thank you for coming on the high people podcast mate it's it's really been fun no thanks for having kites you're doing a great job with with everything and it's really interesting listening along and and hearing the lot the stories that other people have got to share